Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Hey guys, my name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Exodus. I'm so grateful that we get together around God's Word today. If you're our guest, if you're not part of our Exodus family, we'd love to know that you're watching with us. And so if you'd send us an email at the address at the bottom of your screen, we'll follow up with you soon. And we're starting a new series today in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Now that's between Nahum and Sephaniah. Uh, in fact, if you start at Matthew and kind of turn to the left, uh, you'll find it in just a few books. Um, and maybe you're wondering, why in the world would we be doing a series in an obscure Old Testament book at a time like this? Well, there's a really good reason, I think. Um, the, the spiritual journey that we see Habakkuk take through this Old Testament book is really intriguing. Now, Habakkuk begins as a praying prophet who's crying out to God in the midst of a time where things are really hard. He says, God, these things are hard. Are you aware? Are you interested? Are you active? And he cries out to God, and God answers and tells him what he's about to do, but that ends up being frustrating to Habakkuk because what God's going to do is not what Habakkuk wants God to do. So Habakkuk moves from wondering if God is aware to being frustrated with God's actions. And then as the book continues to unfold, we see that Habakkuk learns an important lesson. He learns that even when we can't understand God's plan, we can always trust God's heart. And so you asked why. That's why. Because this story feels far too familiar for me right now. I mean, we're all in a time where we're praying and asking God if he knows, if he understands, if he sees what's going on. And sometimes we're maybe frustrated with what God seems to be doing. And in this time of confusion and fear, we need to remember that though we can't fully understand God's plan, we can fully trust God's heart. Habakkuk grows in this. My hope is that we would grow in this as well. So we're going to be in Habakkuk 1, verses 1 through 11 today. Uh, I'm going to read that, and then we'll pray and, and jump into God's word. Verse 1, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Look, look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth before themselves. Their, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They, they fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence and all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep up, a sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. 
Uh, thank you that uh, your word is so relevant to our lives. Lord, so, so much of this journey that Habakkuk is going to be on just seems so, so familiar. So, so many of the things he seems to feel in this short book resonate with our hearts right now. And so, Lord, would you, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear wonderful things from your word? Would, would you captivate our hearts today? Would you draw us into this, this beautiful story that we find here in this Old Testament book? And Lord, would you help us understand your gospel and your goodness more and more? Would you help us? Would you help us trust your heart even when we can't understand your plan? Help us today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to see three things today. We're going to see Habakkuk's background. Uh, We're going to see Habakkuk's burden. And then we're going to see that Habakkuk bows. Let's start with his background. So Habakkuk was a prophet in the 7th century BC. His ministry lines up with 2 Kings uh, chapter 23 and 24. When Habakkuk's writing, it seems to be right after King Josiah. He's writing to the southern kingdom of Judah, right after King Josiah. Now, Josiah was a reformer. He, he did a lot to lead the people back to faithfulness to God. But the king who followed him, whose name was Jehoiakim, he was not a faithful king. In fact, he was a really bad king. He, he didn't serve anyone but himself. Now, there are external problems. Egypt is the regional superpower at this time, and Jehoiakim is actually paying them protection money. He's paying them money to make sure they don't invade. Well, well, this has taken resources out of the country, and now uh, the, the king wants a nice house to live in. And so he basically enslaves the people of God to provide a home for him to live in. And so there are external problems, there are internal problems, And the people of God follow the direction of their king. They give no concern to God's word. They disregard God and his word. uh, There's iniquity and sin everywhere, which is what we see Habakkuk saying in verses 2 through 4. Now, meanwhile, in in the world at large, you've got the Babylonians coming on the scene, and they're taking over everything everywhere. These are the Chaldeans mentioned in verse Six. In fact, the next king of Judah is going to be captured by the Babylonians and taken into exile. And that's where we see books of the Bible like Daniel and the end of Jeremiah. So Habakkuk's vision that he sees in chapter 2, um, that's going to come true very, very soon um, after Habakkuk is written. So that's some of the history of Habakkuk. There, there's four things that we see, though, in Habakkuk that I think are very important in terms of background. First, Habakkuk never preaches to anyone. He simply prays to God. That's an important reminder that our praying is at least as important as our preaching. Now, maybe there's someone in your life, you're trying to share the gospel with them, or maybe you're trying to help them understand more of what God's word says. Habakkuk would challenge us and ask, and and call us to ask the question, am I praying as much as I'm preaching? Second thing we see from Habakkuk is God is not intimidated by our questions, nor is he isolated from our concerns. I love this. There's never a question Habakkuk brings that intimidates God. 
Habakkuk comes questioning God. And maybe, maybe you would uh, think, or maybe you grew up in, an, in, a, in a, uh, an environment that said, no, you can't question God. You can't ask him questions. Well, Habakkuk shows us another way. Now, certainly there's an attitude that we should approach God with. There's a, a reverence. We should come to him with our questions. But God is never intimidated by your questions. And he's also not isolated from your concerns. Habakkuk shows us that. No concern Habakkuk raises is God isolated from. In fact, every concern, God says, I'm already at work. I'm already at work, which is the third thing that we see from Habakkuk. God is always at work, and he's doing more than we know. Every time Habakkuk raises a concern, God says, I'm already working on it. In fact, in the first chapter, Habakkuk accuses God of watching idly as things are wrong. And in verse five, he says, watch, be amazed. I am doing a work in your day. So Habakkuk reminds us that God is always at work in ways we don't know. God God is at work in a million ways we could never know or understand right at this moment. That's what Habakkuk reminds us of. And then the fourth thing, and perhaps the most important thing we learn from Habakkuk, is that Christian maturity is not the absence of questions, but the presence of trust. Now, in all of this growth and development we see in these three short chapters of Habakkuk, he, he doesn't lose his questions, he gains trust. At the, end of the, at the end of the book, Habakkuk writes this, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flocks be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stall. So with all that going wrong, Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So Christian maturity is not the absence of questions. It's the presence of trust. Habakkuk, even at the end of this book, he never really understands God's plan, but he learns to trust God's heart. And so that's, that's some background for the book. Now let's jump into chapter one. We're going to start with seeing Habakkuk's burden. In verse one, we read the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now that word oracle can be translated either utterance or burden. And many commentators suggest that it should be translated burden because of what Habakkuk does with what he saw. He prays. Now notice, let's, let's look at his burden first. And we're going to start in verse 4 and work backward to kind of feel the weight of this burden. In verse 4, we see that evil is winning, or evil seems to be winning in verse 4. He says, so the law is paralyzed, justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk's looking around, and it seems like evil is winning. And then second, it seems that sin is very, very close in verse 3. He says, why do you make me see iniquity? He's praying to God. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me and strife and contention arise. It feels like sin is so close. He sees it everywhere. And then the third piece of his burden is God feels far away. 
Look at verse two. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence and you will not save? It seems, he says, how long shall I cry? So Habakkuk, this is not his first prayer. He's been praying long enough to say to God, how long shall I do this? And then Habakkuk's perception is, I'm crying out and you're not listening. You don't hear what I'm saying. Now, now that's not reality. God hears every prayer we pray. But his perception is, I'm crying out to you, God, and you're not listening. I'm crying out and you're not saving. So Habakkuk finds himself in in a difficult moment. Everything around him seems wrong. He's crying out to God, and he's been crying out to God, and it seems that God is not answering. So his burden is not simply that things are wrong in the world. He's also got this burden of it seems that God's not aware or not concerned. I wonder if you can relate to Habakkuk's burden here. He's prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. He feels like God is unaware or unconcerned. And this kind of burden can get us into a dangerous place. When we feel like God's not aware, when we feel like God's not concerned, when we feel like God's not attentive, we can get our hearts into a dangerous place. We can get our hearts in a dangerous place. And this dangerous place can lead us in two directions. Either we, like Habakkuk, continue running to God to find hope, or we can start running from him trying to find hope where it won't be found. I'm concerned for us in these these days as the burden of a broken world, as the perhaps the feeling that our prayers are not being heard. I mean, I know for me, sometimes it feels like there's a, a, just this, um, this, this wall on my ceiling where my prayers are not making it up to God. That's what Habakkuk's feeling here. And sometimes that can get us to a difficult place. And rather than running to God for hope, we run from God to try to find hope where it will not be found. So as you feel that kind of burden, what are you doing? Are you running to God or are you running from him? Only one of those choices will get real hope. Now, Habakkuk makes a good choice. Don't miss what Habakkuk is doing here. He's running to God. He continues to run to God. With Habakkuk's burden, we see that Habakkuk bows. I love this. He keeps on praying. He says, how long, O Lord, do I cry? He keeps praying to God. He keeps running to God as his only hope. He keeps bringing his concerns before a holy God, and God answers in verse five. Look at verse five. He says, look, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. So what, what God wants him to understand is, look, I'm doing something. He says, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So Habakkuk brings his burden. He bows in prayer and God says, look, I'm doing something. But what he's doing, Habakkuk would never have imagined. Says in verse six, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So Habakkuk brings his burden to God. He bows in prayer. God says, I'm doing something. I'm not unaware. I'm not unconcerned. I'm involved. And what I'm doing, you would never believe. Because what God's going to do 
is God's answer to the violence among God's people is to raise up a violent people to bring justice. What God's going to do is God's going to use a sinful people to accomplish his saving purposes. Now, now this people is clearly a sinful people. God tells us that himself. In verse 6, they're bitter and hasty. They're thieves. In verse 9, we see that they're violent. In verse 11, they're idolaters. It says that their might, their own might is their God. So they're worshiping themselves instead of worshiping the God of the Bible. And yet God is going to use the sinful people for his saving purposes. Now, God has always been about doing this. He has always been about doing this. In Acts chapter 8, persecution from the local government in Jerusalem has caused the church to be scattered. In Acts chapter 8, we read this. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then verse 4 says this, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So these sinful people who were persecuting the church there in Jerusalem, that just ended up being used for God's saving purposes to get the, the, to get the gospel out in the world. Then there's a story about a communist country trying to stamp out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is a country with a, a high honor-shame culture, a high honor-shame culture. And so there were pastors who were preaching the gospel, and the government came to them and said, you've got to stop. And they said, no, we've got to obey God rather than man. And so in an attempt to stamp out Christianity in this honor-shame culture, the government made these pastors garbage men. And they made them uh, go house to house collecting garbage. They thought the shame of being a garbage man in that culture would silence the gospel in their culture. And so what they did was that they set off, uh, they set these pastors free to walk around the country collecting garbage while carrying the gospel. And these men went about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ because they had a higher honor in being children of God than they did shame in being garbage men in their country. You see, God has always been about using sinful men, sinful people to accomplish his saving purposes. That's what he tells Habakkuk he's going to do, and that's what he does. Now, now th this blows Habakkuk's circuits. He, he brings his burden to God. God says, this is what I'm going to do. And in chapter 2, Habakkuk's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what, why are you doing it that way? We're going to deal with that next week. Next week. But for now, Habakkuk sees wrong in the world. He feels like God's unaware or unconcerned. He brings his burden to God in prayer, and God answers. Now, how do we apply this today? How do we apply this to our lives? It's simply one question, and that question is this. What do you do with your burden? What do you do with your burden? We see what Habakkuk does. Habakkuk is looking around. The world's not as it should be. He feels the weight of that. He brings that to God in prayer. That's what he does with his burden. He brings it to God in prayer. What about you? What about you? 
when you're facing a difficult time and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and it feels like you're crying out, how long, oh Lord, I I cry and you won't listen. When it feels like your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling of your room, what do you do with that burden? What do you do? Either you're going to continue running to God in prayer to find hope or you're going to be tempted to run from God to try to find hope where it will not be found. So what are you doing with your burden? Now, some of us are trying to handle it. We're strong, we're capable, we're able, and we're going to handle it. We're going to get this done. We're going to do it right. We're going to be strong. Some of us are trying to escape it. We're just avoiding it. We're not thinking about it. We're trying to escape into something fun or maybe watch something on uh, Netflix or Disney+. Plus. We're trying to escape what's going on. For some of us, we're trying to soothe it. We're we're trying to soothe it with food, trying to soothe it with drink. Perhaps we're trying to soothe it with our spending. If I can just buy enough on Amazon, I'll I'll feel better. Some of us are trying to soothe it by indulging in sexual or emotional fantasy. We're trying to soothe the burden rather than bring it to God. Rather than coming to God to find hope, we're running from him trying to find hope where it will not be found. And when we do this, when we run from God to find hope, we come to realize that our perspective hasn't changed. Rather than running to him, we're running from him, but we find that we're not finding hope. And as we run from him, we, we, we have the added frustration, not only that we're not finding hope, but now we have guilt and shame because what we've done is we've rejected God. We've run from him to try to find hope where it won't be found. And the Bible calls the act of doing that sin and idolatry. We, we find ourselves to be like these Babylonians in verse 11. Our might is our God. Our ability to fix it becomes our God. And we run from God to find hope where it won't be found, and the Bible calls that sin. So not only do we not have hope, now we have guilt and shame, and perhaps now we also have consequences for running that direction. We've run from God, and there's not just guilt and shame, there are now consequences for our choices. And then we have this mounting reality that not only do I not now have hope, I've got much more to deal with. My sin has multiplied and my soul is still not satisfied when we run from him to find hope where it will not be found. Well, God God offers us another way. God offers us another way. He has made a way for us to bring that burden to him to find hope. He's made another way for us to bring our burden to him to find hope. Hope. You see, as we walk through this Old Testament book, God never rebukes Habakkuk for his questions. There's never a time where God says, I'm too busy, I'm not interested, I don't care. God rather invites us to bring our burdens to him. He, he loves when we bring our burdens to him. In fact, 1 Peter 5 says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares, all your cares on him. Because he cares for you. And so God doesn't want us running from him to find hope somewhere else. He wants us to run to him with our burdens to find hope where it will only be found. And he's made a way for us to do that. But you might wonder, like, 
with all my running from him, would God ever want me to run to him? With all the things I've done, with all the consequences I have, with all, with all of that, would God want me to run to him now? You feel like a mess. You feel like your sin is too great. You feel like your consequences are too vast. Would God really want me to run to him? But like God said to Habakkuk, look, see, wonder, be astounded. Because God has used sinful people to accomplish his saving purposes in making a way for you and I who have run from God to run back to him. You see, just like God sent the Babylonians to accomplish his saving purposes in Habakkuk's day, there's another event in history where God used sinful people to accomplish his saving purposes. This is what we read in Acts chapter 2. I love this. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. So Peter, who's speaking here, says, Jesus. Now, he's not the sinful one. He's not the sinful person God's using. He's the eternal son of God, the word of God, who took on flesh and dwelt among us, who lived a perfect life of obedience to God. This Jesus, Peter says, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Don't miss this. Peter says, you, religious leaders, you delivered him up to be crucified at the hands of these lawless Roman men. Don't miss this. God used sinful people to accomplish his greatest act of salvation in all of human history. That God used these sinful, lawless men to put Jesus on the cross so that those of us who have run from him could now run to him and be forgiven and free. And that's not the end. Thanks be to God, it's not the end. But it says, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. You see, God sent the sinless one to be crucified by sinful ones so that sinful ones could be saved. God used sinful people to accomplish the greatest act of salvation in all of human history. So if you've been running from God to find hope where it won't be found, you can now repent Turn around and run to him to find hope where it will only be found. God's made a way. God's made a way for us to stop running from him, to start running to him, where we can have our sin forgiven, our souls set free, and we can bring our burden to the feet of Jesus that were nailed to the cross and walked out of the tomb. And so what are you doing with your burden today? What are you doing with your burden today? Are you running to God to find hope? Are you running from him, trying to find hope where it will never be found? Our great God invites us to stop running from him and to run to him. Will you run to him today? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you that you use sinful people to accomplish your saving purposes. Thank you that your saving purposes include saving sinful people like me 
who trust in our own might, who trust in our own ability, who run from you rather than running to you. Thank you, God, that you love us and sent Jesus to die on a cross and be raised from the grave so that we can bring our burden to your feet. Lord, that's an amazing love. And so, Lord, as we face a day where we can't always understand your plan, I pray that you would help us see your heart in the cross of Jesus Christ and that we would trust you and that we would bring all of our burdens to you to find hope. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.